ask to be the instrument that blinded eyes see clearly the sun, the light, taste fully the bread, enter through the door. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us. And I pray that God transforms you by his grace through the Bible. Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Imagine if I as a father or any parent considered myself a good father if I went to work provided, put in the time that I thought was important, showed up occasionally to events, sports games, and whatever else my kids or my wife said was important for me to attend. Worked tirelessly, hours and hours. Even, even helped occasionally with things around the house. Made meals and helped clean up after the kids. But never spoke to them. Or never spoke to my wife. Would you call that love? Would you call it mere activity? Because the reality is, many of us do that exact thing to God. We go to church. Maybe, maybe we go to church. Maybe we're even teaching a class. Maybe we help in vacation Bible school. Maybe we help in the fellowship ministry. And we say we love him. But we don't even talk to him. Do you call that love? Every serious turning point in Christian history is marked by a dedicated commitment to praying. In fact, the times in America that we call the Great Awakenings often started as just a small prayer meeting here and there or a prayer meeting behind a barn or in a barn. God raised up the men 
and servants and churches to lead in those massive times of Christian transformation in our country. This isn't just, this isn't primarily even a call to transform countries by prayer. It's a call that the word would transform us. Prayer is a basic Christian privilege. It is assumed that to be a basic Christian in the New Testament or a basic follower of God in the old or new, that we pray. But if I ask you to inventory your own time, how often do you talk to God? And I told you, I don't stand up here as someone who said, who can say. You should follow my example on this. I would never say that. We together need to pray that God would change our view and our heart towards this basic Christian responsibility. And maybe even that we would stop calling ourselves God-loving believers if we don't even talk to Him. We're only going to talk about a few verses this morning. It's just two verses. But it's important that we get context for the passage because Paul is doing something very typical of him. He gives us a biblical basis in chapters 1 and 2, and we'll refer back to some of that biblical basis this morning. He gives us this biblical basis, and then he gives us application on that biblical basis. Here's some truth, and then here's what you should do with that truth. Or here's theology, and then to, ask, to, to answer the, 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 the question, how then should we live? Paul tells us. And that context really starts, just to sum it up, back in chapter 3. Verse 1, if you've then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. And so, again, Paul is, is, is giving basic doctrine about, about being alive in Jesus Christ, about, about who Jesus is. He's the image of the invisible God, firstborn of, of creation, and, 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 and he's everything that you need as a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and you've been raised with him because of his good salvation and because of God's good resurrection of him, and so you should seek the things that are above. And then later down in chapter 3, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, etc. So everything he's about to say in chapters 3 and 4 is a way that we seek the things that are above and that we put on the person of Jesus Christ and put on the marks of a believer that make us distinct from anything else that someone else might believe. Because when you believe in Jesus, Jesus changes you a certain way. And it's that certain way that he's pointing out in chapters 3 and 4. So we have theology, we have truth, and then we have application. And so everything following chapter, chapters 1 and 2 is really just how to live as believers who look distinct from the world. Because we believe in something that is distinct. And that primary truth that Paul is explaining in this book is the sufficiency of Jesus. That he is enough. He's different from any other truth because he's enough. He's different from any other religion because he's enough. He's different from any other worldview because you rest in him and not on yourself. And so how do we live that out? 
Obviously, one of those ways that we live this out is the very thing that we're talking about this morning, the basic Christian privilege of prayer. This morning, I want to suggest to you that gospel-motivated believers continually thank God for his goodness in the gospel and submit to God's goals for the gospel. Gospel-motivated believers continually thank God for his goodness in the gospel, and we do that by means of prayer, and submit to God's goals for the gospel. God has divine purposes for his good gospel, which we'll discuss this morning. And there is a primary way that we maintain this communication with God and fulfill these good goals, and it's the reality of prayer. But again, chapters 1 and 2 set us up in chapters 3 and 4 to understand everything that we see in this application section is, is to be motivated by the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so right off the basis, there, there's some things we understand. If we're not living out this, if we're not living out this, uh, this, these qualifications or these activities we either don't understand the gospel or we're not motivated by it. Because if we understood the gospel, it would change the way that we live. And if we loved the gospel, it would change the way that we live. And so it's in that context, gospel motivation, Christ's sufficiency changing you. It's in that context that Paul discusses the idea of prayer. And it may seem like a very brief, even side note that he mentions, but there's so much in how he describes prayer in these two verses, and we're going to discuss them together. But before we do that, we need to pray and ask the Lord's help. God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for its truth, and I pray that this morning you would show us why we should be grateful. And you would give us submission to your divine gospel purposes. You would cause us to submit to your divine gospel purposes. And a primary way in which we do that is in our communication with you. So help us to stay submitted to your word, to yourself, to your son, and to your spirit this time. And we ask through Jesus, amen. So again, Paul is reminding us of the activities of a distinct Christian. So now let's read our text, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And so let's just work through these verses together. First of all, we find in verse 2 that distinctly Christian prayer is persistent with gratitude. Distinctly Christian prayer is persistent with gratitude. So again, these are marks of a distinct Christian, that Jesus is growing us in, out of the reality and into the reality, into the truth, that he is enough. And so one primary way in which we show the distinction of our belief is in our communication 
with the one in whom we believe, God himself. And because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, prayer through the Son and to the Son. So distinctly Christian prayer is persistent. But it's persistent in a, in a specific way. Be continue, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So let's talk about these, this verse together. First of all, we're, we're given the idea of perpetual prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. This, word, this phrase, continue steadfastly, is a, is a compound idea that indicates persistence and regularity. It's something you are attempting to do often. It's not even just a habitual action. It's not rote memory. It's something that you are attempting to do persistently and consistently, and you are endeavoring, and you're working hard every time you do it. It's not just the idea of something that we constantly do, but something that is done constantly with effort. There may be something in your life, it may even be your job. You're so accustomed to what you do, what you, do you can essentially do it without thinking. Maybe you get so good at a particular habit, or you have a particular skill, and, and by this time, I mean, some of you have been, you've been, doing this, you've been in the same role for years. So you could do it with your eyes closed. No pun intended. That's not how we're supposed to approach prayer. I mean, with your eyes closed is good. I get it. But thoughtlessly, we, we, we come into our prayer, and, and it's like I know what I've heard other people say. And so we just repeat things. Jesus says something about this. He calls them vain repetitions. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But it's something that we do regularly and constantly, and we invest ourselves. This word for prayer is not unique or distinct. It's the idea of seeking or petitioning something of God. We're going to God. We're seeking God with requests. We're seeking God with praise. We're seeking God in communication. Paul uses this exact terminology in Romans chapter 12. He says, be constant in Prayer. The idea is not that you're in one long season of prayer, that you, you know, you, you're praying for hours. Now, that's not a bad thing to do. It's a wonderful thing to do. But you have jobs. I understand that. It's the idea that you have a spirit or a posture of prayer so that throughout what you're doing, you are in constant communication with God. Think about it like, like conversa communication that, that we can have via social te technology now. I can text any one of you if I have your number any time of the day, and I can say, hey, I'm thinking about you and praying for you. And we, we, we actually now have the opportunity at any moment during any time, I mean, I, I guess, you know, when you're at work or whatever, but you have the availability to be in constant communication with people. You have the availability through Jesus Christ to directly enter the throne of God any time you want. In constant communication. So yes, have a season of prayer where you dedicate a certain amount of minutes or you dedicate whatever, a certain amount of time. But be in regular and consist, consistent conversation with God. On your way to work, you're in the car. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. I'm just so thankful I have employment. Thank you for providing my needs. Oh, man, this person in front of me just slammed on their brakes and I almost hit them. Give me patience. 
constant communication. You can speak to God like He's your family because He is. If, you're, if you believe, if you're in Christ, He's your Father. Speak to Him. Some of you have the pain, and I can't imagine it. Some of you have the pain or have had the pain of a child who won't talk to you for whatever reason. You're estranged from that child. And as much as you love that child, and as much as your heart hurts, God loves his children perfectly. In fact, you can't love your children at all without God because he's the source of all love. And some of his children won't talk to him. Not because of his treatment of them, but because of their treatment of him. Consistently in conversation with God. I think of the, the old Luther hymn. We don't sing it very often. Well, we don't sing it here. We're going to learn it, all right, because it's wonderful. Come, my soul, with every care. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself bids you to pray, and he will never turn away. You are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. In constant communication with God. Prayer is not a spiritual luxury. It is a basic essential for Christian existence and spiritual growth. As vital is your breath to your human existence, so is your prayer to your spiritual thriving. But believers today are more likely to trust a career to provide for them than the promise that if he's not spared his own son from you, how will he not also give you every good thing? Believers today are more likely to ask a doctor first for medical healing or wisdom or strength rather than the one who made your body. They may be more likely to see a therapist for peace and transformation than the God of peace and redemption. They might be more likely to find hope in a president or a government or a system than the king of souls. Our problem is not that we don't have what we truly need. It's that we are not asking for what we truly need. And when we ask for what we truly need, the answer alone is one word, God. 
But we go about our lives trusting what little semblance of strength and sufficiency we think we have. I can do this. I've got this. I've done it this way for so many long, for, for so long. And you may be able to exist that way, but why would you want to? Why wouldn't you want the, the unreserved blessing and favor of the Lord on any endeavor? Because you're asking for it. God, help me. God, I need you. Distinctly Christian prayer is persistent, but it's also it's persistent a certain way. Do you see this? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Being watchful. So first of all, perpetual prayer. Constantly in conversation. Secondly, there's intentional prayer. Continue steadfastly. Being watchful is this idea of intentionality. It's this idea that we're constantly ready. You're always ready to pray. You know what it means? Literally, it means to stay awake. Can you think of someone who used this terminology? Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 36, and Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray, and then he takes some with him, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death, hours away from crucifixion, hours And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Jesus prayed. Prayer is a fundamental function of Christ-likeness. And Jesus begs his Father for help. And if Jesus should beg his Father, what makes me think I can do anything? He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Now, in fairness to them, they had been up very late. We're all the way through, almost through the night at this point. You read the, I mean, we're going to talk about the upper room here in the book of John in the next few weeks. They're staying up through the night. They're tired, man. I get it. But Jesus says, pray. I'm sorrowful. Pray with me. And he uses this terminology, it literally means be alert, stay awake. And some of us can't even do this after we get out of bed and we're trying to give the Lord a few minutes and we fall asleep in our Bibles. I'm not picking on you, but some of you come to Sunday morning service and when we have long prayers, it's like it stretches you a little bit. I get it, I know I pray for a long time. I, I get it. But be watchful. Be alert. The Bible says you should stay awake while I preach. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. But you should stay awake. Be ready. 
Now I joke. But maybe I shouldn't have. Look what he says. So could you not watch with me one hour? You couldn't pray for an hour? I asked for your spiritual energy for an hour? And you fell asleep? You say, I fall asleep when I pray. You can pray with your eyes open if it helps you. Do what you need to do. But be watchful. Be ready. Every night before we go to bed, you know what I do in our home? I lock the doors. Safety. But if someone came in our home and they shouldn't be there, you can bet my alertness would be off the charts because there's danger. And some of us face the darts of sin moment by moment and Satan is causing, tempting us to despair and Satan is dangling your tailor-made, your own lust right in front of you. And we fall. Do you know why? We're not ready. We're not watching. We're asleep. They failed to show their affection in failing to give their attention. Are you sleeping when you should be praying? I mean that literally and figuratively. I wonder how Jesus would find us now as his disciples a church awake and praying or spiritually drowsy and sleeping. Maybe we should all leave today and pray that God would wake us from our slumber and cause us to pray. But there may be another conflict with the church today in terms of praying. And it's not that we're too spiritually asleep, but it's that we are too physically busy. What if Jesus today found both a church too asleep to pray and a church too busy to pray? He observes churches full of people cramming their lives in addition to the work that he has given them with social events, parents forcing their kids into extracurricular school sports, clubs, music schedules, recitals, chasing careers and dreams either for you or for your children, and then people so physically and emotionally exhausted at the end of the day, all they want to do is escape to their phones or their televisions or Netflix, and they have no energy to pray because they've spent it all somewhere else. None of those things are inherently problematic. None of them. They all have a place. They all have benefits.
But what if the problem, in addition to us being spiritually asleep, is that we have so spent our energy on lesser things so that we have none to invest in communication with the God who bruised his son for us. Perhaps our prayer today should be that God would both wake us up and slow us down. Because we need to pray, brothers. We need to talk to God, sisters. And if you're too tired, if I'm too tired, it says more about our love than our agendas. So we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to be watchful in prayer, and we're supposed to be thankful in prayer. We're supposed to be thankful. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul will repeatedly remind the Colossians to give thanks while he's giving spiritual instruction. Verse 7 of chapter 2, you're being rooted, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Verse uh, chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Verse 17 of chapter 3. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Paul has a tendency, in addition, not just the book of Colossians, but elsewhere, to connect this idea of praying and thanksgiving. Actually, the idea is that the two are assumed to go together. 2 Corinthians 1, 11, you must also by pray, must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks. The praying is the means of giving thanks. Verse, uh, Philippians 4, 6, you know this verse, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 18, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. The assumption is that while you're praying, you will give thanks. They go together. The biblical understanding of prayer is that you will also be giving thanks. Can you imagine how much more we would rejoice in the Lord if we gave thanks for his many answers rather than obsessing over our many requests? And what would it do for our joy if we dwelt constantly on what God has graciously given rather than upon a, what we wished we had? Gratitude causes us to see clearly the abundant goodness of God uncumbered by the blinding lens of unmet desires. When's the last time you asked something of the Lord and he gave it to you and you didn't say thank you? Sometimes we treat God with poor manners. We would expect everyone else to say thank you if we gave. And God who's given us his beloved son who bled for us 
so often take it for granted by the ones that he's rescued. Secondly, look at me, verse 3. We find distinctly Christian prayer is purposed in the gospel. At the same time, pray for us also. So while you're praying and giving thanks, at the same time, pray for us. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison so that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. There's two primary admonitions here. First of all, to pray for gospel opportunity. Distinctly Christian prayer is purposed in the gospel. Pray for us as servants of God that he may open to us a door for the word. That, that, that door, I believe, is just giving the idea of, Paul's just giving an illustration for opportunity. Some people think the door is, has more the idea of, of specific opportunity for the Gentiles, and I probably generalized even more than that. That he may open to us a door for the word, and that word is the word of Christ, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul says, my mission to declare the word of Christ got me, got me locked up. Writes this from prison. This is one of our prison epistles. So pray for gospel opportunity. This, this phrase, the mystery of Christ, he's already dealt with in the book. You say, what does it mean? Verse 26 of chapter 1. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God's plan from eternity past that he and the Son and the Spirit knew, now through Christ is fully revealed to the sons of man that if they believe, they have life. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this mystery, which is Christ, the hope of glory. So what is the mystery? The mystery is Christ himself, which he has disclosed to people to believe. Chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. What is God's mystery to be revealed? His son to be slain. And Paul says, pray that opportunities to tell people about the mystery, which is Christ. It's not a bad prayer for you to pray for your own life. God, I'm going to bump into people today. Give me opportunities to declare the mystery of Christ. If I, if I can't share it on the spot, at least allow me to establish a relationship so I can go back to this relationship and I can, I can tell them about Jesus. Pray for gospel opportunity. And secondly, pray for gospel clarity. I love what Paul says here. It's, it's so clear. <laughs> that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I should speak clearly. It's like, it's like Paul's giving commentary for himself. I should speak clearly, so pray that I can. When you hear me pray that the word of God would be made clear, very specific. 
It's not just that I, help me not to be confusing. Now, I don't want to be confusing. Or help me not to whatever. It's that the word of God would be clear. Because the word of God needs to be clear. Because people need to understand. Because if they don't, they might die in their sins. And you, as a child of God, need to know what the word clearly says so that we can follow Jesus and see him clearly and know what he expects and what pleases him. Grace Bible Church should pray that the messages that come from this pulpit would be clear. That as people may watch online or see our videos on social media, that it would be clear because it's how we ought to speak. And if you're a servant of God, it's how you ought to speak clearly about the person of Christ. You say, I'm not, I'm not a good talker. That's for other people. I'm not, I don't, I don't words well, right? I love Moses' example for this. I love it. God, I'm not, a, I'm not, you don't want me, I'm not a good speaker. All right, I'll send your brother. Aaron says nothing. Moses does all the talking. Do you know why? God. Because if your heart is submitted to the gospel, God will strengthen where even you think you're not gifted. Pray for gospel opportunity and pray for gospel clarity. Brothers and sisters, there's people all around us that need to be disclosed the mystery of Christ. This word clear, to make it clear, just means to, to, to reveal something, to make it plain, to make clear, to reveal, to make plain the mystery of Christ. We have this mystery that's difficult that God has revealed that through his word and through his servants make plain before the eyes of people and in the hearts and minds of people. God may just call you if you ask to be the instrument that blinded eyes see clearly the sun, the light, taste fully the bread, enter through the door, and believe in the I am. But we do not have and we will not have if we do not ask. Inventory your speech. Not just how much you talk. It's a good thing to do. But who do you talk to? Do you talk to God? Are you bringing large petitions because he himself bids you to pray and he'll never turn away and, and his grace and power such that none can ever ask too much? Have you ever done that thing? Maybe you can think back, to adults, you can think back to your teenage years, right? Teenagers is where you are. Where like you need to ask permission for something 
but you know it might be stretching your parents a little much, so you, you leverage a little bit. Hey, if you'll let me do this, then, you know, I was thinking I'd love to help out more in the yard. And you do this negotiation thing with mom and dad, right? You don't have to negotiate with God. You'll never ask too much. In fact, the reason I believe we, so, we see such small steps in our life is because we're asking too small. Because he's able to do exceeding abundant, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. According to the power at work, where? Within us. Spirit's strong, brother. The love of God is deep, sister. Pray. Constant conversation. Because gospel-motivated believers, believers growing in the sufficiency of Christ and in the goodness of the gospel, continually thank God for his goodness and submit to God's goals for this, his gospel. And his goals include his children. And his children have the beautiful privilege to see him work. And the more you ask, the more you get to see. 